This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast presented by Scree Gear. It is the middle of October. Hunting seasons are open everywhere pretty much at this point. And Scree is still offering the risk-free trial on the Whitetail Starter Bundle. Buy it, try it for 14 days. If you're not totally satisfied, return it. No questions asked for a full refund. The other thing that's really cool that I just got in the mail yesterday or day before was the new Lost Peak jacket. And if you've been listening to the podcast and you've kind of followed up and went and checked out Scree and you've seen, there has been a product called the Lost Peak jacket that is kind of a light to midweight kind of micro fleece, just simple zip-up hooded jacket that is really a, a really great piece that you can kind of wear in mild cool temperatures and then throw a heavier jacket on over it kind of takes the place of a hoodie imagine a a full zip hoodie uh in terms of weight but really comfortable well that product was great but it needed a little bit of improvement with um a few different small things and i just got the new one in and they'll be live on the website if they're not right now any day they've made some improvement to the exterior uh the exterior fabric to the type of fleece, some of the way that the the cuffs and the thumb holes are done, and I I am super impressed. It is one of the best mid to lightweight jackets, and honestly, it's probably a jacket that in Louisiana 
you're going to wear 75% of the season. Maybe you might wear it the whole season. It's just you may throw a little heavier jacket on it during your coldest hunts. But it's the kind of jacket that you could pack in extremely lightweight and throw over the top of a, you know, a t-shirt and a hoodie or whatever and be, I mean, in, in our temperatures. It is a great piece. I would really encourage you to check it out. That's a Lost Peak jacket. They've got it in both the Summit and Solace as well as the uh, green and the ash brown solids. It is a fantastic product. I can't wait to, to wear it this fall. It's going to be great. But as I always encourage you to do, go follow them on social media. Subscribe to their YouTube channel. You can see lots of content. Um, I'll actually be doing some content myself with the new Lost Peak jackets to put out here in the coming days. And you can find out more about the product, see them use in the field on the YouTube channel. And you can shop online at screegear.com. So it is uh, October, middle of October, and we continue to just have an absolute ton of really exciting kind of, not, I don't know if they'll call it feedback, Colin, would you call it feedback? But just response and, and interaction from, like, people are killing a lot of deer. We've had really oh, yeah. good weather, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been super pleasant to go out and hunt. Um, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy with the weather we have now. And I actually, um, I heard that like a week from now, we're supposed to be getting a cold front and we're going to see some pretty low temperatures. So that's, that's great to hear too. I can recall more often than not the first two weeks of October being basically like the first two weeks of September or the end of August, like no real fall at all and sometimes. And it's been just really nice to be outside in the mornings and in the evenings. I haven't hunted. I mean, I've been to the camp, let my son hunt. I've been outside working on food plots and stuff. I, I actually went and planted food plots yesterday. Um because of the, the we got some rain moving through this this week and i got up fairly early and um was jumped on the tractor and was wearing a hoodie for the first hour and a half on a tractor because it was it was downright cool out and yep. that's i think that's had a lot to do with it we've had a lot of successful interactions in the community with people killing lots of animals and lots of nice bucks some velvet bucks the first weekend so that's been it's been a it's been a kind of a hot start to the season. So in other news, Colin's obviously with me, he just spoke. But uh also joining us, returning podcast guest and also advertiser on this here production, Mr. Brian Chamberlain. What's going on, dude? Yo, what's going on? So Brian, tell us I so Brian, I went on the elk hunt that you've heard us talk about. That was put together and coordinated by Brian. Uh, it was a hunt that he did last year, and we actually did a podcast and talked about his elk hunt. I haven't talked really about the elk hunt on the podcast since we got back. Uh, we've had some other topics and other guests, and I was going to kind of wait and kind of go over some parts of it. So, what what are your takeaways for people? I'm I'm going to use this as like a teaser moment. If you haven't listened to last year's podcast with Brian where he talked about his elk hunt from last year, well, I'd like you to pause this and go back to listen to that episode and then return. But, no, if, if, if you remember our conversation about the hunt, what, what were your takeaways from this year 
and then also kind of compare that to last year. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, it, this year we came back empty-handed, so I'll put that out there, you know, first, which is exactly what happened last year. So my takeaway is similar <laughs> to last year that there's there's not an elk on my wall or in, in the in the freezer, but um, you know, I'll tell you this 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 year. I mean, probably one of the biggest takeaways um, is just the um, I don't know. I thought about it a lot when we got back, and just the amount of of work you know that goes into it whenever you're there. I mean, you, you think about, and, you, and y'all know, you know, we talked a little bit about you know, horse riding and all that kind of stuff. There's a bunch of work that goes involved in all of that. But just, you know, waking up at 5 o'clock every single morning, you know, for five days waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, getting on your feet, and, I mean, you're just going and you're searching for elk. And, and you know, as you, as you kind of think about, you know, the advantage of getting in on horses, you think about um, – you know, having somebody there that kind of knows the area and it doesn't like, even when you get out there, even after all of that is said and done, you have some advantages in, in finding those elk and, and, and getting out you know, way away from where most people, you know, are, are hunting. Um, there's still elk and there's still a whole shit ton of work. Or, can I say that? There's a whole lot, yeah, there's a whole lot okay. of work it's okay. that goes into, uh, that goes into that like every single day. I mean, there was days whenever I just, I wanted to stay in, you know, I wanted to go in the morning. I wanted to, I'm not going to get up this morning or as I'm, as I'm getting back at eight thirty and o'clock at night after hiking 14 hours thinking, I don't know if I'm going to go out in the morning and then make myself get up and, and, and do it again. And then going through all of that for that five days and then coming home empty handed. Now empty handed as far as, you know, an elk, but, like the experience. I mean, we were in elk, you know, every, and I, we, and I know that we were in different camps, uh, lock and, and those guys were in a camp and a, and a drainage over from us. But, um, I mean, we were in elk, we had elk within a hundred yards within a hundred. And you just, you start to think about all the work that goes and in getting into getting there, even from just the drive. I mean, I drove from new Orleans to Denver, you know, overnight, picked you guys up another six hours to get in. Then you think about, all these horse, 28 horses, they got to get loaded up. They got to get put together. And you think about a seven, eight, I think for you guys, how long was the ride at 10, 12 hours? 10 to 12. We do Look, with, I'll get into a, yeah, a little bit more of why it was that long, but it was 14 yeah. miles that we went. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So you, so you, you get in and then it's time to hunt and it's time to find elk. And then once you find elk, it's time for that wind to cooperate. It's time for those elk to, to, you know, be a little sad and want to die. And then let's say all that comes together. Then you got to pull that bow back and put it in the right spot, you know? And so it's a, it's a lot, um, you know, from a, from a bird's eye view, it's a a big picture of a lot of things that are happening that all come down to, do you get an opportunity? Whenever you do, do you come through? And I guess that's going to lead me into last year. You know, this year I didn't get a shot. I was, I was, I was I had a few opportunities that came very close last year. I, I shot two elk, but I didn't come through, you know, with either one of those. You know, I shot one in no man's land at probably 330 inch six by six at 55 yards that I made a shot high and then shot another one that is dead out there somewhere as a liver shot. Um, but, you know, 
it just there's just so many things that have to come together to get out there. And then at the end of the day, when once everything comes together, that bull's in front of you, they're screaming their head off, and you got to draw back and you got to make that shot after overcoming your own uh, kind of weakness and not wanting to get up and go because you're tired from 12 to 14 miles of hiking that day, whatever it may be. It's just there's a bunch of it that that, that it's it's just a, it's a hard hunt. I think that's probably why you know, why I do it. You know. Well, so. You know, I, I'll say we we did we we all started in the same place, and we all took off, and then we split up. Um, you guys took out right ahead of us and ended up going a kind of a different trail, and then we did, and you went into a different drainage. And Colin was actually with me on my hunt, uh, running camera, and so he'll have some opinions about all this too. And and I'll say that looking back on it, it was an epic adventure for all the negatives and all the positives thrown all into one pot and stirred up. It's an epic adventure. And it's one that I'm glad that I did. And one that I probably would have handled some of it. I would have handled better when I was a little younger. Uh, and that doesn't have anything to do with how well I prepared. I don't think I could have prepared. One of the things that, that I'll say is the hunting was not the hunting part of it was really not that different than what I imagined it would be. I knew we would walk a lot, yeah, and I kind of expected the elevation. Um, I wasn't sure what to make of what the uh, what the thin air and the elevation would be. That I mean, you could you could feel it. N- none of us got any kind of altitude sickness. You could definitely feel it. And I was actually cutting up some video that we did while we were up there. And I noticed that even sitting around camp talking to the camera, I was having a hard time catching my breath between sentences. And I wasn't even doing anything. And so... The campsite was at 10,000 feet, pretty much on the dot. So, I mean, just simply rummaging around camp, getting your pack together, you kind of lose your breath. Not in a way that you have no energy, but just in a, you know... That was I didn't know what to expect from that, but the you know, the hunting, the hiking, and the hunting hard every day, that part I expected. One thing that took me a little bit by surprise that I really didn't realize until about day three, and maybe it had to do with the weather and the cold and just the conditions we were in on our given time to be there, was I really expected to be really sleeping hard and exhausted and i wasn't i was sleeping but i wasn't resting if that makes any sense and that made it that made some some parts of it really difficult because i've you know i've done a lot of hunts where now it's not the same thing with the elevation and it's obviously not as rustic as being in a in a in a tent when it gets down below freezing at night and and stuff like that but i've done some some turkey hunts specifically where for four or five days in the absolutely just almost dehydrating heat just walking and walking and walking like 10 miles a day chasing turkeys running cameras and out at the end of the day you are just i mean you literally cannot you're as hungry as you are you can't even hardly stay awake to eat and it it it's a whole different challenge because the getting up is hard because you're so sleepy and you're so tired and i really thought that this was going to be that way but it wasn't it was like it was almost like you were so in some ways cold and uncomfortable 
that you wanted to get up and move around <laughs> because you're like, I've laid here and yeah. I've got all the sleep I'm going to get. I might as well get up and get dressed, get by the campfire and start moving around. You know, that was, has nothing to do with elk hunting, but just the, you know, the, the camping and the backcountry adventure part of it. That was something I didn't expect. Um, the biggest takeaway for me was from just a hunting perspective, and then I'll talk a little bit about our, our adventure, but the biggest takeaway for me was this, and people that are listening to this who are big turkey hunters, I think I can, I can explain and kind of drive home this, this feeling to those people more than any. So you know when you, you work really hard in the springtime and you finally find a bird that's gobbling, and, and you, you know, you've really worked hard, and you get set up on that bird, and you think everything's going well, and then all of a sudden, the bird just stops gobbling and just vanishes off the face of the earth. And the last time he gobbled, he was like, you know, you're, any minute now, I'm going to see him. And he just vanishes. And you don't know, did he see you? Did he stick his head up somewhere down through the woods and see you move? Did something spook him? Did he just go off or whatnot? So imagine that feeling except you're in these conditions back in the mountains and you just woke up before daylight or at daylight and hiked a thousand feet straight up for two hours and then walked three miles around the rim of a basin to finally find an elk and everything is going okay and then you kind of feel the wind hit you in the back of the head and it's over not okay (laughs) it's I mean, it is. Yeah, it is a it is a sinking feeling that that it 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 mirrors kind of that feeling of the frustration of of how hard headed and complicated a turkey can be because you're calling to the animal and you're trying to strategically move and set up on him, but then you have the wind and and all of those things I have heard my whole life, but until you're there and you experience it and you're exhausted, you're tired. You're out of breath, but you have that that kind of a that that spike of adrenaline because a, 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 an elk just bugled and you got within what you think is 150 to 250 yards, something like that. And and as tired as you are, and as hard as you've worked, and everything that's going on, you still got that rush. And then all of a sudden, that crash of like, I'm not sure, but I know that that wind just blew right down that you know, that, that drainage or right up that hill towards where he just bugled and that's it. And he's gone, you know, and then, you know, that it's just, that happened from time to time. But like Brian, I did, I came really close. Um, I came really close. Like the, the elk was in range. Yeah. I had, I had a really nice bull, um, probably a, close to 300 inch bull uh it could have been a tad bit bigger or just a tad bit smaller but he was in that range and he was in bow range like when i say in bow range he was probably what colin 25 to 30 yards from me yeah probably probably 30 yards but but there was just stuff in the way where i couldn't really see him and there was a cow in front of him and she come right up in my lap and the you know and she was really close to us and she was really a lot obviously a lot closer and our our guide was back behind us kind of calling and making noise trying to draw the elk in and she got nervous and she kind of 
wheeled and took him with her, and the way he turned and left out of there, it still left me with no shot. Or Matt, my friend that was hunting with us, the angle, he didn't have a shot at it either. But it was literally, I mean, if that if that elk takes 10 to 12 steps to his left, I got a 20-yard broadside shot at a 1,000-pound animal. I mean, I feel yep. pretty pretty good about my chances there. And it was honestly... As far as what I experienced, it was the I was in a really good situation. We hadn't been hiking hard. I wasn't out of breath. Like this all happened at the right pace. I was set really good. I was calm. I wasn't like I said out of breath and hiked up. I was relaxed. I think it. I really feel confident that I would have had a you know really good opportunity there. And I'll say this too. I can see and and understand fully the intoxication of having an animal that big responding and just screaming at you within 200 yards it and 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 it's happening in some of the most beautiful country that God's ever created i mean just and it's untouched there's no trails there's no logging roads there's no any i mean there's trails but they're just old horse trails and hiking trails that have been there for a century or more you know it's just untouched wilderness you know you're literally drinking water out of streams that you cross, you know, and it's all of that was just pure and amazing. Now, the part of it that for us was very difficult was <laughs> I did not account for exactly how rigorous as the best word I can come up with. And I know Colin agrees because we've obviously talked a lot at then and now and beyond about the horse ride is tough. The horse ride in is very if you know especially for guys who don't ride horses you know um i grew up in the in in the country and and my my sister has horses and i've been around horses never been a horse rider but i've ridden horses plenty but i've never ridden a horse for 10 or 12 hours and i've never ridden a horse like up through these little narrow mountain goat trails switch back back and through the mountains with a roaring river gorge a thousand feet below me you know and and on our way in, we had an accident that luckily we did have someone get hurt, but one of our guides, the guy who was kind of tending to camp, he he did get hurt during the accident, and um, it kind of caused some chaos and kind of kind of set us back a bit, and it was honestly kind of terrifying because it happened in the middle of the night. Yeah. While it, was it wasn't good. Hurt. I mean, it was not good at all. I mean, he, he could have died. I mean – but yeah, yeah, it, w- it definitely freaked me out at 11 p.m. at night. Yeah, it, it's 27 degrees and it's sleeting and kind of. You, you were you were freaked out before you ever got on a horse. <laughs> well, yeah, but this, <laughs> I was freaked out and then I was good. <laughs> Do you remember calling? Me? And then when it <laughs> turned, yeah. and then when it turned dark, I was all of a sudden not good anymore. <laughs> it's really hard to ride. It's a funny horse. that. Go ahead, Brian. It's funny because, like in the other camp, like all in Harkins, and I kept talking about this. I wonder how Colin's doing right now. <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, so I had never ridden a horse. We're getting before. text messages on the end reading saying you guys are sitting. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I probably gave you all a nice laugh from that's that. not. I mean, it, look, I got I got off that horse. I couldn't. Even... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. So it's tough. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Go. No. No, it, yeah. it's like it. You know, you in gotta, your mind, you gotta give some detail. Yeah, 
Hey, it's Brian Chamberlain with Movement Mortgage. We're happy to be back for our second year supporting Louisiana Bowhunter. Just want to let you know that we're here for all of your mortgage needs, whether it's a purchase, a refinance, a renovation loan, or to take equity out of your home. We're also an equal opportunity lender, so whether you shoot a crossbow, a compound bow, a fixed blade, or an expandable, we're here for all of your mortgage needs. You can reach us at 504-228-3780 or at chamberlainteam at movement.com. Movement Mortgage, NMLS number 39179, Brian Chamberlain, NMLS number 114586, licensed in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, and Florida. Yeah, yeah, no, you were you were the closest one to it, Locke. So, I, so here's what happened. I don't know, for people that are listening, I don't know if you know what a switchback is, but a switchback is basically a trail that zigzags back and forth to go up a very, very, very steep hill. For lack of a more defined way to put that. Yeah, you can't it, go straight up, so you have to zigzag. It's so steep that you can't go straight up. So you have these little, basically, ledges that just zigzag endlessly up and up and up and up, and then they zigzag down and down and down and down. And you're talking about a, a little ledge on the side of a hill that's too steep for a horse to walk or, or, or get up, you know. So... Get that in your mind. This is so steep that you can't walk up it. If you fall, you're just going to roll. You can't stop. I mean, it's straight up and down pretty much. You're rolling to the bottom. Yeah, it's straight up and down, and these little ledges, trails, they zigzag. Well, so they literally make a – it's not 90 degrees. Would it be 45, a 45-degree 45 turn to the right? You go so far, kind of slowly sloping up, and then 45 degrees back, zigzagging. So – the thing is, the horse has to make the turn exactly on the trail because, you know, like a it, sharp U-turn. It's it's like a it's, it's like a U-turn. You're making a U-turn, and it's you know when you're on the on the on, on, when you're going down the trail, and let's say your horse is going to make a right hand turn, you know, it's anywhere from five to ten feet up that he's going to go up around that turn, and it's usually nothing but rocks and loose dirt and stuff in between so it's dark and my horse cuts the corner so he doesn't he he tries to go up the mountain instead of staying on the ledge and making the switchback turn well i can't see because i didn't take my headlamp out of my pack so i don't know what the hell the horse is doing i'm just riding along trusting the horse thinking that Okay, well, here we go, because I see everybody else go up to the right, and I think I'm going up to the right. Well, the next thing I know, I'm literally hanging on for dear life. Like, I'm coming out the back of the saddle, and it's pitch black dark, but I can tell that I'm pointed straight up. And the horse is struggling, his feet slipping, and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what's below me. All I know is this is – and he finally gets up there, and I I somehow stayed on the horse. And, again, it's pitch black dark. Because my horse is kind of lagging behind, so there's nobody else's lights to help me. And the horse behind me, he didn't have a light on either. And I get up there, and I'm like, what the hell just happened? I'm, and I'm thinking to myself the whole time, you know, the whole damn mule team is up ahead of me. And they didn't all just go through all that. They just all kind of took a right and kept going. I'm like, something wasn't right. Well, I have just about enough time for all this to go through my head, and I hear the guy behind me screaming whoa 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 and i look and all i can see is just chaos and then shit rolling down the mountain and i can't really see it i can just hear it and then headlamps shining and like flashing everywhere and it sounded like it was 
inaudible. Like there was no words. It was just a bunch of grunting and screaming, and it was going down the mountain away from me. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I, so I start screaming up ahead like, stop, stop, stop. Something's going on. And they're like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know, but it looked really bad. And it just went quiet, like just crazy, deathly silent on the side of this mountain in the pitch black dark. And we're all like, uh, hello? Chris? Chris? Chris, are you there? <laughs> and everybody's like freaking out. Nobody's responding, nothing. I'm like, oh, my God. They Like they literally just fell off the side of the mountain. And so ends up, you know, every, you know, some people run down there. Chris, the guy on the horse behind me is laying in the middle of the trail and he's in shock. Like he's incoherent. Yeah. He's like blacked out, blacked out in shock, like almost, almost like seizing. And so basically there was a guy on a horse behind me. He's pulling a pack horse. There's another guy on a horse behind him. Who's also pulling a pack horse. His horse tried to follow my horse and he couldn't make it up it. And, the other horse pulled back against him, and he fell into that horse who fell into that horse, who, and all four of them ended up going down. And all of our stuff on those pack horses went down the mountain. The horses went down the mountain. One horse got loose and got stuck down at the bottom and couldn't figure out how to get back up to the team. And so we spent about an hour and a half in the dark, and we can't go anywhere because we're on this little bitty narrow ledge of a trail where – you can't walk down to them. You have to, like, walk the switchback to get down there. And so ended up, Chris has got a huge gash in his head, busted well, yeah, up. Yeah, his, his, his horse ended up falling on him. Yeah, the horse fell on him, broke his leg, and his head's busted wide open. He's bleeding everywhere. Um, long story short, we were able to gather everything back up and get everything and keep going. But from that point on, as you can imagine, from that point on, everybody's completely unsettled. Because it's like you're trusting these horses in the dark, and then that happened, and everybody's just freaked. And, and uh, so that, that, that put a big kink in our kind of getting in, and that was, that was scary. You know, I'll say on the way out, we had no incidences, but it was still very hard. Just especially after being up there on that mountain for six days, and, and hunting hard like that, and then riding a horse... I think it what Colin took like six or seven hours to ride out, something like that. Yeah, six six hours out, and it, it took us over day. ten to get in. That's how bad our ride in was. It took us ten hours yep. to get in and six to get out. I'll tell anybody that wants to do it, like I can see the intoxication of elk hunting and doing it in a place where it's just untouched as far as human. You know, I mean, not that nobody ever goes up there, but you're just so far back in there. So we were obviously, with everything that happened, you know, it made for a very difficult kind of start to our hunt. And on the way out, uh, everything went much better. And, you know, in the end, I don't think that I, and I know Colin didn't either, I don't think either of us really accounted for how difficult you know the actual getting into this area as awesome as it is to be back there and to experience that and and everything it's very it's a very difficult hunt but i can see how intoxicating intoxicating it is to chase these animals and uh you know we had one really really good day of hunting where the elk pretty much bugled throughout the day off and on and we stayed on elk that was the day that i got really close and we had several other uh kind of encounters but they were very scattered so we hunted really hard 
And um, I didn't want to spend an, an extraordinary amount of time on, on the elk hunt for this podcast episode, but I just went kind of wanted to, with Brian on here and all three of us haven't gone on the hunt, I just kind of wanted to recap it. And, look, I, I think if you're looking for an epic backcountry adventure that I can just tell you right now, you hear about people talking about doing um, DIY hunts and all that. You can't do what we did if you don't go with an outfitter. Like, you, you the only way to do it is to be – you know, equipped with stuff that we're just, you're just not going to have unless you, unless you live that lifestyle and you know that lifestyle because this was just an extreme in terms of how far we went and to the extent of, in which we, you know, we kind of went into that level of backcountry and the way we hunted and all was just a different level. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was so, very extreme, very extreme. We definitely and we got the full, we got the full uh, experience all all at once. Yep, and I'll definitely say this: aside from the difficulties and the hardships, there's no doubt in my mind. I've very rarely ever hunted anywhere in my life for any animal and seen that much sign in one place. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that, you even... couldn't step. I mean, we're we're in a a basin high in the mountains that I don't know, Colin. What did you you looked on your map? How big did you say that basin yeah. we were hunting was? Uh, approximately like twelve thousand acres. So we just hunted the one that we were in. Yeah, we hiked around a basin of approximately twelve thousand acres, and you literally could almost not take a step without there being elk shit on the ground or tracks yeah, or everywhere. trees rubbed where where the bull elk had been tearing. I mean, there were elk sign everywhere, and I have no doubt that, as with any hunting trip that you planned, there was a period of days that if you were in there, it would have just been unbelievable. You know, it it wasn't that way for us all five days. The elk, you know, what I don't know that much about elk hunting. So, you know, where were they at in their rut cycle or whatnot? They obviously weren't extremely active the whole time we were there, but there's no doubt there's a ton of elk back in there. It was a cool hunt. So let's let's move on. Like I said, I didn't want to I didn't want to spend half the podcast talking about the elk hunt, but just to kind of recap it, the hunt is over for the right insurance carrier for all of your needs, whether it's your personal, commercial, or agricultural needs. Jake Slocum at American National will have you covered. With over a decade of experience and multiple offices across the state, he'll take care of all of your needs. Whether it's auto, home, life, business, or farm, Jake Slocum at American National has you covered. Call or text 318-255-0096 today for a free assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. What if that strap breaks on your lock-on or your saddle? What if your boot slips while climbing up a tree early one frosty morning? We all place our lives in the confidence of our gear, safety harnesses, and lifelines, but we all need to plan for the worst with an advanced life insurance policy. Contact Jake Slocum at American National Insurance today to have a plan for you and your family if you never make it home. Call or text 318-255-0096 for a professional assessment. Jake Slocum, American National Insurance, more than just your insurance provider. Um... So we did something a couple of, uh, a couple of podcasts ago that um, got uh, we got a lot of good feedback from it. So we're going to try it again. So we're doing this tier system thing. So it's kind of our way of ranking things, and we're going to do this throughout the podcast season. Just random topics that have to do with 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 hunting and bow hunting, and just kind of all the stuff that we all do um, as part of Louisiana Bow Hunter. And then and then, so instead of like trying to give you like a what what we could would would consider our top 10 list we're going to break down 
three tiers of of something. And so tier three would be like your bottom choices. Tier two would be like your mid choices. Tier one would be like your favorite of the list. And so we agreed for today's episode, our tier system. We need a little a musical jingle for this, like a drum roll or something. Yeah, you need to get something loaded on your uh, your board. <laughs> yeah, not like. I thought you had all that. I have this. The Louisiana Hunter tier list of the week. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it's going to be. The Louisiana Hunter top tier list of the week. (laughs) Hunting shows. (laughs) Okay. So, hunting shows, and we talked about before we hit record, this can be a YouTube channel. Or any kind of streaming digital series of hunting entertain hunting entertainment. So it can be an old VHS DVD. That new you, or old. New or old. It can be an old DVD or VHS tape that you watch at the camp. It could be something you've watched on the Outdoor Channel. Something that you stream online. Or whatever. So tier three is going to be, I'll watch it. I like it. I remember it. Whatever. But not like your, obviously, you know, we'll go it's from not three a, it's not. It's not one that you hate. It's just... Not your one or your right, two. Yeah. So guest first, Brian. Give us one or two tier three hunting shows. Tier three hunts. It's all, all kind of what hunting shows for me, I'm not into like the uh a lot of the mainstream, you know, stuff. Unless it has like the, the red moon guide. Like if <laughs> of they're course. using the red moon guide, um or the black rack antlers. Um, or the, what is that other, the spider, what, like, I'm in, like, that's, that's tier one, I guess we're going tier three first. Though. Yeah, no, you can't yeah. get for this. So I shouldn't jump right in. <laughs> You're burying the lead I, I, here, dude. Yeah. We're talking about shows where they don't use the black rack, okay? <laughs> tier three. <laughs> All right, cool. The Red Moon guy. No Ozonics, yeah. okay? Yeah. <laughs> right. The, uh, but I, I like, um, like, I like a lot of the guys that are, that are, like, just real people that even, like, Maybe even their uh, the quality of their video is not that great, but it like it's like it's real. Like it's it's real guy, and I can't remember the guy's name. And I, I wish I could. You guys could probably tell me. I think he's out of Georgia, and he's Seek a one? doofus. Like he's well, I, I shouldn't say that. He, I shouldn't. If he ever hears this, he's gonna want to whip my. <laughs> he's a uh, he uh, have have bow will travel. I think is what it's called. Have you seen that one? I've never mm, even heard of that. No. I'm st- half oh. bow will travel. So the guy's kind of half bow will check it out. The guy's kind of, a, but he kills stuff. Like he's he kills stuff and he kind of freaks out. And he's kind of like um, just like backcountry, like and uh, you wouldn't expect him to kill things like <laughs> while you're watching him. But um, but I like watching because he kills stuff and it's just funny to watch him. Like it's just I'm like I don't know how this guy just. And a lot of times he'll go in there with like a when he's back home hunting he'll go in there with a four wheeler to go pick up his deer and he just totally screws stuff up like he'll put his deer on the back of it and he's headed up a hill and his four wheel <laughs> flips over with his deer in it like just like just stuff like that or he just like forgets his bow and he's in a tree or yeah maybe I didn't forget his bow but like there's always like kind of little things that go wrong he's like sleeping in his car when he goes to the Midwest and stuff like that but it's kind of like you could just tell that he's like an actual person like there's no there's nothing fake there, you know, and he kills stuff. And so okay. I'm pretty sure it's half bow will will travel. That's 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 gonna be one of my my tier three. And then one that has a lot of advertisements in it, so it's a little bit annoying, but uh the red arrow. Red arrow. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
that guy, I, I think he's kind of funny in some of his advertisements and stuff, but, I mean, it's just a bombardment of advertisements. Yeah. You know? At and, least he tries to make them so kind I don't, of funny. I don't know yeah, yeah, and I guess had, that's what kind of you know he's got a family and kids that he brings out there and stuff like that. So I kind of like that one. So tier three, those are probably two of them that all right. sit in that tier three. Colin, tier three. Uh, I'm going to go with Real Tree Road Trips, the new the new Real Tree show right now with uh, Tyler the Sun. Yeah, I like it. They hunt a lot all over the country. It's pretty cool to see all the different all the states that they go to different types of hunts uh, okay so I let like me say this about real tree road trips i haven't watched the newer with tyler hosting them but back in the day be, like, be careful be careful be careful now no i'm, I'm not gonna be you, negative it might be no, no no i'm talking about i might you might be creeping into other tiers well now. but th- i'm just commenting on what you said i'm not <laughs> okay. i'm not i'm okay. not stepping on anything i'm just saying i can agree even though i've never watched it i kind of have a good idea of what that show's all about and i'm okay with it being in tier three but i will say you're younger than me and you may not even remember this unless you went back and watched it but when real tree road trips first hit and michael waddell first started doing real tree road trips that was back before there were all of the streaming entertainment most of your stuff that's you, before my time yeah so i mean you either i didn't even know that yeah so you either had to buy a dvd or you know, or watch one of the network channels, so TNT or, or TNN or Outdoor or whatever. Originally, Real, Real Tree Road Trips was like one of the first things that Michael Waddell hosted. And back then, it was very kind of unique and had its own, you know, at that time, pretty much every hunting show that came on television or DVD, but they all kind of followed the same script. They were just hunting in a different location, obviously a different hunter and a you know, different class of deer, you know, different different animals and stuff. But they were all, they were kind of all wash, rinse, and repeat, which is still entertaining to us because we just love watch hunting. But Real yeah. Tree Road Trips was, for its place in the world back then, it was pushing up on Tier 1 for its place in the world back then. So I'm just kind of giving a history lesson. I don't disagree with your with that being in Tier 3 for today, but if but back then it was it was kind of innovative in in its yeah. place when it first came out so is that your only tier three or is there anything else you uh honorable mention seek one i like those guys seek one okay oh yeah yeah i i like them i'm okay with that being in tier three all right so my tier three is anything anything that comes on the pursuit channel <laughs> <laughs> and, because basically there is no minimum qualification required other than paying whatever their fees are to be on the pursuit channel they don't they don't screen the production and in some cases there are pretty good editors and 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 people that produce pretty good content but they don't have the budgets to be on a bigger platform but they want to be on network television and so sometimes when you watch the pursuit channel you get a pretty good hunting show but a lot of the times you watch the Pursuit Channel and you're like, what in the hell am I watching? But I still watch it. So I have to put it in my tier list because when I have nothing else to do or for whatever reason I'm stuck with no other option, 
or there's nothing else on another channel, or I don't have internet, which happens a lot at the camp. I don't have the internet, you know. And DirecTV changes the damn packages all the time. So I'm stuck with, there's no football game on. I don't have the internet to stream anything better. So it's the Pursuit Channel or, like, a, a, an old Western with my dad. I watch the Pursuit <laughs> Channel. So I have to put it in Tier 3. But sometimes, sometimes it's more entertaining because of how bad it is than it is oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, entertaining for the content. That's that, that's anything on the Pursuit Channel is my Tier 3. All right, Brian Chamberlain, Tier 2. Getting better. Tier We're getting two. up there. Oh, yeah. Um, the Scree Channel, they got this guy <laughs> on the beard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Scree Channel, definitely Tier 2. <laughs> Tier two, that guy. I totally disagree Dumb. because if that's not tier one, I don't know what is. Screw <laughs> <laughs> uh, YouTube channel is. I mean, they yeah, are yeah. putting so out I content. Yep. Uh huh. Mm. on the uh, no, but the uh, outside. No, I, I would I would say you guys do you guys do a good job, but the um, outside of the screen channel, um, you know, coming from out of elk season i watch i kind of go through like uh whatever i'm hunting or the upcoming hunt that i have i yeah. immerse myself in watching that yep. um the born and raised outdoors guys for uh you know for elk hunts yep. and those guys are they're hunting public land they're going from state to state they're doing it and they're they're very successful and they, they've they've teamed up recently and they've got some really really cool hunts um that they've done with the uh the uh, uh public uh hunt public yeah. So I don't know if you guys have seen any of those, but I mean, they get in some elk close up front, frontal shot, like just some cool stuff. They put down some elks and so some elks, some elk. Elks. The, um, so I would say Floral my tier elk. two is going to be a, is going to be definitely on the, on the elk side and uh, probably born and raised outdoors. Are they now, are they just elk? Cause I've heard of them, but I've never like watched them or anything. Is it mostly just elk? Everything. That I, I'm sure they hunt. They hunt other stuff. They they you know, probably get together with some other guys, some other channels and stuff like that. And hunt some other things, just like you know the hunting public kind of got with them and teamed up doing some yeah. elk hunts. But the majority, I mean, everything that I've seen is is elk. And uh, but they go. I want to say they do like seven or eight states or something like that every year. Um, and they've got just a big group of guys, and they go in there and I mean they take care of business. They put them down. It's all on public land, you know, it's do yeah. yourself type stuff. And so. They, like what we did, they, they for some reason can can drive around. And maybe maybe we, we could have too, and we just took it extreme. But they can drive around in a vehicle and like call out of the vehicle and then hear a bugle and then go kill that bull. Yeah, imagine that. You know, and stuff like that. So not the, in the uh, basin we were at. No. Yeah, <laughs> not the vehicle the back there. Freaking the yep. moon, the, but, the uh, Mars uh, rover couldn't have driven around. <laughs> <where Yeah>. we were. <laughs> But even like the quality of the of the actual videos and stuff like that, like they do a they do a pretty good job, I think. So that's where I'm going with for my tier two. All right, Colin. For me, tier two, I'm going to go with Midwest Whitetail. Uh, mm. High quality film, uh, pretty good guys over there, um, and it's just like I've. I've never hunted the Midwest. I've filmed a lot in the Midwest, but just they do a really good job at just like allowing you to like, think you're like living in that life. Like they show it off really well. Um, the storylines that they have are great with the history of deer and everything. So tier two, 
Midwest whitetail for me. Okay. So let me say this. First of all, Colin just about stole one of my answers almost verbatim, word for word. So thank you for that. <laughs> First of all, the other thing I was going to say is I, I agree with Brian. I've not watched that channel, but after experiencing what I just experienced in September, anybody that can get enough elk content to make a any kind of oh, show yeah. <laughs> or channel about it has mad respect for me and i don't really care how good the quality is just simply yeah. just just killing enough yeah. and getting enough elk on film in a hunting scenario to create a show is impressive and i don't care how you do it from what i experienced so i'll say you, that and then you gotta think you, you gotta think too though like for us we had five days yeah, these yeah. guys have like a month and a half, a month and a week. They're going to different states with different season days, so they're yeah. literally hunt. Like if we were hunting thirty days straight, we'd have got some. We'd have got yeah. some stuff. That's. I mean, that's or, true. Or we'd have been dead. Yeah, or we. Yeah, yeah. one of the yeah. two. Probably uh, the latter. Yeah, we were only a day or two away as it was, so thirty days <laughs> would not have made it. But so as far as Colin stealing yeah. my thing, I so. It's not totally fair because I decided I wasn't going to say Midwest Whitetails, but I considered it um, in Tier 2 for the exact same reason. And so, like, my reasoning is is just kind of echoing what Colin said in that when I'm watching a hunting show and what I try to do in the stuff that we produce is, what, is what's entertaining to me is, you know, I've watched hunting shows with a lot of people around camp and stuff, and they, they tend to want to fast forward to the kill shot you know or or, or, or and they just they just kind of fast forward through it because they just want to see the a-roll clips of the the deer coming in and them shooting it and what the deer scores and the recovery and and it's just kind of on and for me like yeah I'm, that's that's the a-roll uh, but i like i i like the way like colin said i've been able to hunt in the midwest a lot in my life and it really puts me back on some of those farms and hunting that way when I watch their show, they do a really good job of kind of making you feel like you're there. And I can tell you, if you haven't been able to go up to the Midwest and hunt that way, then when you watch Midwest, that's a really good, it's a pretty good representation. About as close as you're going to get. Of, of what that's about. Whether even you know whether you're managing a farm in the Midwest or you're going and hunting with somebody who can kind of catch you up to speed on you know what's happening on that property so you're spending a, a a week there hunting these deer that they've they've been watching however you go about doing it that's you know it's such a different game from down south because of the terrain and the the real defined rut period and so how you can how they can use mapping to to manipulate you know their decisions and 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 there there's so much definition to how the deer use the terrain different times of the years where down here, as you know, we have ruts that span from the middle of October all the way to the end of the season, and you don't ever really know from day to day what you're going to get when you go get in a tree stand. Um, it, you know, that's one of the great things that's so fun to me about hunting in the Midwest is that predictability, and they do such a good job of of kind of showcasing that hunting style. So I think they're good, but I'm going to go a different route. I could have went that route, so I completely agree with both of your tier twos, which doesn't make for great podcasting, but I did agree. <laughs> Um, <laughs> my tier two, I'm going to go with the real tree monster buck DVD series, all of them. And here's why Colin, y'all, we don't do the video for this podcast, but we, we are on video so we can see each other while we're talking and Colin shaking his head at me and, and, and Brian's Not in a bad way. 
No? Not in a bad way? No. Okay, I took no. that wrong. Okay. So here's why I said the Real Two Monster Buck series for me. Because just my generation, um, that's what I grew up on. Like, I remember as a kid, my dad coming home late summer. We're starting to shoot our bows in the backyard and get ready for hunting season. And he stopped at the store and bought the, the newest edition of that year's, you know, Monster Bucks and the other series that came out. And, um, you know, we would start watching them. And we would watch them over and over and over, you know. And there was no – I mean, there was a few hunting shows on Saturday mornings on, like, ESPN and TNN, but there was no outdoor channel and there was no streaming internet. And – I know that compared to what people are capable and learned how to do with film work and editing and production and, and some of the kind of reality style of, of hunting show creation nowadays, that's a higher produced, but it was just entertaining. It, it, you know, back then, especially as a kid and even in college and stuff and as a young adult, you know, not having the means to, to like, to, to be able to watch them hunt these, big deer on the milk river in montana and and out in texas and and all these other states and kansas and everywhere and just like it was just it was just it was it was it was a big wow thing and it was really your only at that time it was your only glimpse into what that was was because you know i you know we did it was no traveling to do all that so that was um that's my tier two and i mean i i could lump a couple of other um the hunter specialties Hunter Specialties used to do a series of, uh, I don't even know what they called it, something, Big Bucks or something. Um, those, that, that's kind of my tier two. Hey guys, hunting season is finally upon us. We're starting to feel some of that fall weather. And if you've had some success or you're expecting to and you're looking for taxidermy work, contact our friend Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop, located at 2582 Highway 48, Liberty, Mississippi, Conveniently located right in between Centerville, Liberty, and Gloucester. Whether you're chasing deer and ducks in the fall, big gobblers in the spring, or you land that trophy fish, give Brian Anders a call at the Taxidermy Shop at 601-248-6945. The Taxidermy Shop is family-owned and operated, not too big, not too small, offering quality work in a timely manner. Call Brian Anders at the Taxidermy Shop, 601-248-6945, or check them out on Instagram at the Taxidermy Shop. So, Brian, the time has come. Yep. I, T- I can tell you. Tier one. The, uh, the best of the best. The best of the best. You guys no pressure. The, my best of the best sucks. But, yeah, but lock to, to follow up on what, that, what your, your, your number two or your tier two so I, I didn't grow up like deer hunting. I started about seven years ago. I'm 41 years old. So I started about seven years ago and uh, it just has eaten me up ever since then. I mean, I picked up a bow that first year and it's just, I mean, that's all I think about all the time. But when I talked to my buddies, like at the camp and stuff like that. That's a series. Those guys that grew up with their dads hunting and stuff like that. Like that's, that's what they remember growing up. That's the, that's the series that they watched and stuff. So, um, Number one, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up a little bit. I was gonna go with for my number one Midwest Whitetail, but post Bill Winky, um, just because I couldn't deal with him putting his hands on his hips and saying, "and always dream big." <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, 
I just I couldn't do it, you know. So I was gonna go post Bill Winky um, for Midwest Whitetail, but and the reason I, I, I chose this, I mean, obviously, big deer, the storyline that goes, and not to, you know, I mean, Heartland Bow Hunters is another one, and you know that that I that I like um, that I probably would have put up there, but you know, as I start to think about wanting to film hunts and stuff like that and getting my stuff together and I'm learning a bunch about cameras and stuff like that, but just the quality like of those films, like I, I would love to be able to put something out like that. That's that, that quality, the storyline, you know, knowing the story year after year of those bucks and how many years that like, you know, whether it's, you know, Midwest white tellers or Harlem bow hunters or, or anything that's just like a high quality produced um, deal with a good storyline. And that's that's gonna for me that's the most entertaining. Like I, there's not a Midwest Whitetail episode that I haven't seen, probably seen two or three times. Especially the one where he's sitting in the uh, in the ghillie suit in the big pile of brush. You seen that one? <laughs> I'm yeah, sure Colin has that little trail, and he smokes him from sitting down. Anyway, so uh, oh yeah, yeah. So so those are that's that's what I watch. And as much crap as some people give the hunting public. You know, I think those guys have done a good job of, uh, you know, a killing deer and being kind of real, you know, while they're doing it. You know, and I know there's probably two teams on that. There's some people that are that are anti-hunting public, and there's some people that are that are all over, or that are, you know, that, that really agree that those guys have done a good job. And so those are probably those are a few that are sitting that in that number one for me as far as what entertains me and what what I I will watch more than once. You know. Yeah. So that's where they've, I sit in this. They've definitely hunting public has definitely changed the game, for better or for worse. Yeah, they they've made they an have, impact. They definitely made an impact. All right, Colin, what's your tier one? Yeah. So I made the face because Real Tree Monster Bucks is my number one. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't care <laughs> if everything except for the kill shot was shot the day after. And then they just spliced it in. I don't care. Um, growing up, I guess I'm kind of just the opposite of Brian. So I've been hunting since my dad started taking me when I was two. And there was, like we've all talked about, there was none of this on TV. So we had a couple Monster Buck t- uh, DVDs. And that was like the first like experience of any kind of hunting outside of my own experience that I saw and it was obviously big bucks all over the place. And when I'm nine years old, I'm thinking like, you know, it just, it's like, Oh wow. Like there's so much more to offer than just what we have here in Louisiana. So that's my tier one. I think, I think real tree monster bucks is just, I think that's a solid tier one. Well, obviously I put them at tier two cause I really like them. So I, I have really no, and I'm like, and I'm like, so I can segue into my tier one off of something you just said. So in 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 being a good podcast host, I'll I'll, I'll attempt that. So you just said like you know you don't even care how much of it is you know shot after the kill and put together to to like it's just entertaining. Yeah. For, for what it is, yep. it's got a nostalgia to it. It's got an entertainment value to it. It's you know they're one of the pioneers in the space with what they've done. And so my segue into tier one is this for me, that that part of the reason why I put them in tier two and, and 
and and part of the reason for for what I'm going to go with with tier one is I have over the years read threads on message boards and and Facebook uh, uh, threads and different things. People people are just overly like nitpicking and critical about everything with hunting entertainment television, what, regardless of what medium they watch it on. It's like, oh, well, if I had, a, if I could go hunting everywhere all over the country, I'd kill all these big bucks too. Oh, well, that's fake. Well, they film that. Like, those kind of people, and if you're one of those people, I'm sorry, but you drive me crazy. Like, can you not just sit there and be entertained? Like, yeah, okay, that's probably a cutaway shot that they filmed after the kill. So freaking what? Yeah. You know, like, I'm really enjoying, like, watching this big buck in this really cool location that I would like to get to go hunting at one day. And guess what? I'm a big enough dude not to be freaking jealous that I don't get to go hunting there. Like, it's still entertaining. Like, it's just take it at face value, man. Like, it's just entertaining, you know? Yeah. Like, and I, I don't even know. Like, that has always driven me crazy. Um, and 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 so I'm going to stick in the same vein, but for a more personal reason. I'm going with Primo's Truth About Hunting for Tier 1. And there's more of a, re- I mean, it, it follows the same vein as Real Tree Monster Bucks, kind of the same era of television. That you know, I feel like Primos tried to go kind of the extra step to. They called it the truth because they tried to stay away from any kind of stage scenes. I mean, they even say it in the intro. There's no stage scenes like the original monologue of Will Primos talking about the Truth series. Is there's no fancy edit. There's no stage scene. It's the truth. You know. But that's not really what it was for me. What it was for me is I grew up in Mississippi, and I lived three doors down, not the band. I literally lived three doors down. From it was during the <laughs> time period band, when that band was uh, was popular, and they were good. Um, <laughs> on another note, uh, my, next the next year list for the, next the, week. the bass player of, of Three Doors Down is my brother in law's first cousin, but that's you know, hey, I just I'm not name dropping, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> so I did get to go like backstage at this concert one time, you know, not that that's a big deal, I'm just saying. Um, got a free t shirt, yeah, I got a t shirt out of the deal. Uh, they were too tired to talk to us, so it was kind of a bust, but anyway, <laughs> um, so but I lived Three Doors Down from Ronnie Cus Strickland. Who, if you don't know, is kind of like the, is one of the pioneers of Mossy Oak, and uh, I think he's the vice president of the company at this at this point. If if he's not retired, but his oldest daughter actually drove me to school for 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 part of my after my sister graduated, and and Primos really kind of got going when I was a kid, and and they were right there in my hometown when I was actually a teenager. A friend of mine and I we had permission to turkey hunt on, on this 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 guy's place. Uh, there in my hometown, a really nice place. He invited Will Primos to come to come hunt his property, and we actually took him out one morning. We didn't guide him or anything. We just kind of took him out and showed him the area that that where he was going to hunt and stuff. And so I was just always just and 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 my friends too. We just idolized. We watched them. You know, we 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 didn't know them, but they were right there in our backyard, and they started you know this truth series. And it was and and when it really first started, it was really kind of down the road. A number of years before they really branched out and started hunting in a lot of different locations most of it was filmed in places right there around mississippi and louisiana that that were very familiar to me they look like the same places that i hunted and and it's just always been that way and even to this day their outdoor channel show that that comes on like on a you know their weekly 
uh, season of shows, most of it's filmed on their lease property in the state of Mississippi, and it and it's just it just reminds me of growing up at Deer Camp. Um, yep. And and it's just there's a nostalgia to it, and I always love the way that they the way that they hunted, and just I don't know, it just always struck home with me because it, it's kind of my roots. And yeah. I'll just say that of all the tier lists that we end up doing on this podcast this season, this one's probably the hardest one for me because, yes, I do make hunting videos and content, and you know, that's what I do for a living. But, like, it's not – I've been a fan of this since I was a kid. You know, I yeah. either wanted to play baseball or make hunting videos. Those are two things I wanted to do since I was old enough to have aspirations. And <sighs> – I've been able to do both, and I am just very apologetic to hunting shows. I just am, and I and I'm I'm honestly like I just don't understand people that get so critical and turn like it's just entertainment, man. Well, the the old ones like Monster Bucks and Primos, like the about the whole thing about like some fake shot. I mean, that was just that was how it was. That was the way that it was done back then. I mean, they, you know, yeah. that's just how it was. I mean. Yep. I I actually got a Go one, one of the, the first videos, which I haven't made a ton of them, but one of the first videos I made, I was hunting pigs down in Braithwaite and uh got some footage and stuff and I'm I'm in there editing it or attempting to edit it. And I had some other footage from a different hunt where I was wearing the same camo Just in the same in there. tree. So I threw you it in fake, there. And you it, fake video, ass. I mean, Get off of my podcast. I know, you so, fake. So, but it was, like a, it was like a drawing my bow shot from my from my, oh, uh, my GoPro or something like that. So I like cut back to – well, the uh, you can see the video. It's on the YouTube channel. But um, the uh, <laughs> my buddy's watching it, and he's like – You didn't shave. You your beard in the middle of that hunt? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm like – Oh, holy shit. I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, I stopped and trimmed it up. I probably was going to trim it with me in the, in the beard. Use an old broadhead. beard always gets them. terrible. You used your old broadhead, just got you. Yeah, I can't, remember, I can't remember if I trimmed it or if it grew out. It may have grown out, actually. And so I was like, yeah. But anyway, it's funny listening to that. Nah, that's, 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 like I said, man, I don't know that we'll have a podcast conversation that'll be, you know, a tier list type conversation like this, that'll be much more difficult for me because I like all of them. Even like I said on my tier three, I mean, there's some pursuit channel yeah. shows that I watch. Right. And I'm like, what the hell? But I still watch them, you know, and I'm still entertained on some level right. by them. I just like watching people hunt. I like to see what people are doing, the way they set up the, you know, just the different landscapes of different areas that I've never been to. And, um, you yeah. know, I, I've even, you know, I mean, I'm even, I'm even old school to the point that even though most of the work that I do is, is digital on the internet, I still don't even consume as much of that as most people do. I'm still an old school DVD outdoor channel guy. I, you know, um, now and nowadays with DVR, you don't even have to watch the commercials. You just fast forward, you know. And so I, I just, I don't know. Like I, I just, I just love it. So I mean, I could honestly could fill this tier three list up with five, six deep on each tier. Right. And, I like all of it. So, anyway, we're going to attempt to do the tier list conversations. Some of them will be probably funnier and more controversial than others, but 
Um, it's kind of that time of the year, I think, where everybody's gotten their feet wet. The season's going. And so what do you do to fill the gap between this hunt and the next hunt? And, uh, you know, there's, you know, watching hunting on the Internet, on television, whatever, is, is a good way. So it seemed like a good time to kind of talk about that. That, that. That's fun. And in that same, kind of in that same vein, wanted to just kind of see, Brian, what do you have, like, What's your season going to look like? I mean, what do you what do you got planned out for this year? Yeah, so we just uh, we just got you know, we got some property in Mississippi. We just got all the all the food plots planted in, um, and then I'm actually headed next weekend to Missouri and then Iowa to go set some stands. I've been putting in for my bow tagging in Iowa for for the last five years, and uh, finally got it this year. So. I've got a, a good friend that I've I've known since I was probably nineteen that grew up in uh in southern Iowa. Um real good part of the state that his family has owned a a, a farm there. Um he doesn't hunt and so I asked him if he, he mind if I hunted about five years ago and he said, Yeah, go for it. And so I've got a real good opportunity there. Went up and put some cameras out earlier in the year. Got some really, really nice bucks uh, on camera. And so I'm headed up next weekend to go there. And I'm going to stop in Missouri. My daughter and I, um, my eight-year-old daughter, Dempsey, <clears throat> we're going to hit the uh, rifle season for, for youth rifle season at the end of uh, October. So we're headed to a piece of public land that I've, I've hunted. I killed a, a deer on with my bow last year and had some luck running into some deer the year before. And, uh, so taking her there, um, the 28th and the 29th, we'll hunt there. Um, and then uh, flying her back, dropping her off in Kansas City, and uh, she's flying back home. Mom's picking up from the airport, and then I am, I'm headed to headed to Iowa. And so hopefully uh, we'll get it done in Iowa, and I may head back to Missouri and uh, try to get a, get one done with a bow on that piece of property if I, if I do end up tagging out in Iowa early. And then outside of that, it just uh, Louisiana down in Braithwaite, and then the, the property up in up in Scuba. You're just gonna be all off around getting it done, huh? That's gonna just be it for me. Getting so. it done, just getting it done. Yep. Well, it done. That's it. I'm pretty excited because I'm leaving. This is it's Tuesday night. Y'all listen to this on on Friday, like always. But Thursday, I'm leaving. My son drew a Kansas tag, so we're gonna go Thursday and uh spend a long weekend we've got a bunch of big bucks we've got three properties through 180 outdoors in southeast kansas that i have access to hunt this year and and colin and i went up there and uh helped them do some work around some of the farms in late august and put some cameras out and we got a bunch of deer a bunch of big deer on camera i mean like retarded amount of big deer on camera you could you could like louisiana tag out up there it's it's if they're all I don't three bucks. I just don't yeah, like feel three like bucks, it's no problem. I don't feel like it's it, that it's even logical for there to be that many deer around once the velvet. I mean the velvet is gone, but they're still showing up. But at some point they got to break up. I mean there's just too many of them in in these areas. But I'm excited because I think you know he's going to have a good opportunity to get a shot at uh, a nice deer, not just any deer, but a nice deer. Because I mean, and you know how hunting goes, but. And anything could happen, but we we've got a lot of promising spots that we're going to be able to hunt. It looks like you were mentioning that cold front, Colin. That's actually going to be pushing through up there. Yep. While we're there, and then and then we'll be kind of following it back home the first of next week. So uh, I'm excited about that. And then of course, Colin and I will be returning 
up there in November to hunt, and I don't even know how long. We'll be there for a while, and then we may get to hunt Oklahoma some. I'm really jealous that you're getting to hunt Iowa, and I shouldn't be because it's my own damn fault because I've been trying to, like, like take care of my business and put in for my points so that I could draw, and I I shouldn't be jealous of anyone because I haven't done the legwork myself, and I never I actually always let it get past me, and I never put in for my points. So I'm nowhere closer than I've ever been, but I'm excited for you to get to hunt that <laughs> because uh, yeah, you know, uh, look, dude, the something uh, I started doing this past year that I think I don't know, maybe a lot of people do this, but I've never heard of anybody doing it. You know, my kids, I got three girls. Three, six, and eight, about to be nine, and uh, started buying them preference points it's where really, I can. Really you not. Know? That's really a good idea. Just to, you know, just because I mean, there's, I mean, and that's going to be like next year. I'm going to start buying some, like goat tags, like like things that are off the wall that, like for me, I'll never get to do because it takes twenty preference or whatever it may be. And I don't know what point creep is going to look like, and you know, if it's going to if if they all it'll push them out further. But at eight years old. Yeah, they may be in their mid thirties before they draw, but you know, there's things that like I'll yeah, that's never a good be idea. able to do in my lifetime because I don't have enough time that I can get them started off early enough mm-hmm. to where they can have things to do in different states every year, you know, including Iowa and, and then states where you, know, you have to. You know, Dempsey's got one Kansas preference point, you know, from this year, so hopefully next year we'll be there. But you know, that's just uh, something else as we're talking about putting in for points that's been on my mind that. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty cool for them as they go through life. And maybe they end up not hunting and it's all a waste, but you know, if not better to have it and not need it. Yeah. I mean, you want to, you want to get your, if you want to get your kids into hunting, bow hunting, whatever, if they're, if you're taking them hunting when they're six and you're, you start putting, putting in for some Iowa points when they're 12 and, and they can bow hunt and you can take them to Iowa. I mean, that's going to be freaking awesome. So. Yeah, I should probably be doing that. Just well, yeah. Look, I'm just gonna put this on Brian because yeah. I need a scapegoat. I'll, I'll, I'll send the alarm. <laughs> I need. Yeah. Well, I asked. I asked you to do that this past year for the Iowa thing, and you didn't remind me, and I didn't do it. So I'm gonna blame it on you. Then yeah, you know, so it's my fault, man. It's you know. I mean, Brian's like, hey, guess I'll what? My, I'll get my stuff together, buddy. Guess what? I got my Iowa tag. I'm like, oh, thanks for reminding me, asshole. Appreciate that. I mean, I only, remind, I only asked you in January. You know, it's no big deal. Whatever. He's gonna kill oh, one. Yeah. He's just gonna I'm rub gonna it in your face. You. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I, I need I need yeah. a scapegoat. So, last thing before we wrap up, Brian has been a generous contributor to the uh, to Louisiana Bow Hunter. He's come on the podcast a number of times to share some of the stories, the things he's done, and as you guys have probably heard, Brian advertises here with with uh, with Movement Mortgage, and um, that's what he does over on the North Shore. And uh, just want to give you a minute to kind of talk about that, Brian, and kind of give people a state of the union. And I know everybody's concerned a little bit about economic factors going on in the world today. Like where where is the where is the mortgage? industry at and you know how can you help people in in, in current times yeah so i kind of you know one of the things that that you know in our world you know people that are that are not intimately involved in, in like in the, in the mortgage world and day to day what goes on in the market and stuff you know, they they hear about you know the fed reserve rate or fed funds rate mm-hmm. and they're they're raising the rate they're raising the feds raising the rates feds raising the rates 
everybody is kind of under the impression that that means that every interest rate for everything across the board is going up. And, and for, for short term, you know, credit cards, auto loans, stuff like that, it does have a direct impact. Um, long-term loans like like a you know, 30-year mortgage loan, it doesn't necessarily have a direct impact. It's not that the Fed raises the Fed rate and all of a sudden mortgage rates go up. It's what impact does that have in the market? And right now, inflation is 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 basically the the biggest enemy of mortgage interest rates. So, you know, the Fed is basically raising the cost of money so that it slows things down to get inflation in check. But when they don't do enough, the market reacts in a way that basically says, okay, where inflation is going to stick around. So interest rates end up going up. We've had interest rates go up the last couple of weeks. Um, now, the last time, not this past time, but the time before that the Fed met, they raised it by 0.75%. That was more than what was expected because they really wanted to combat inflation. Interest rates came down. Um, this last time, they thought that they would raise it 1% to one and a quarter. They raised it by 0.75. The market felt like they didn't do enough. Interest rates went up. So right now, we're seeing interest rates in the high sixes on a 30-year mortgage. Um, and so that that's, that's kind of slowed things down. And a lot of people are kind of like, I want to wait until mortgage rates come down before I buy, because this may not be the best time to finance a house. But in, in I say this, you know, um, I say this and I hope I don't come across as somebody that's trying to talk somebody into because I make money doing mortgages also. This is this is reality. In in 2020, whenever we had a recession and interest rates plummeted, what happened? Everybody, it's time to buy, it's time to buy. So the competition in the market goes through the roof. So now there's no inventory. Everybody's having to pay ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars over asking price. It was crazy for us because we had pre-qualified borrowers all over the place, but nobody could get a contract because they're just battling it out, battling out trying to find a house. That has settled down, so there's less competition right now. And there's a saying we have: you marry your house and you date your rate. So rates are high right now, but the time to buy is actually not bad because there's less competition. You may be able to get a seller to pay closing costs. You're going to get that house, maybe able to get a little bit off the asking price or before that doesn't happen. So you can always refinance into a lower interest rate, but you've already got that house at that price. If you waited until rates got went down and then you see competition coming back, well, you're going to pay more for that house. Um, you can have that rate and the lower price in the house. And so it's just something to think about. A lot of people are nervous right now because the interest rates are going up. It's cyclical. We're going to end up in a recession at some point. When we do, interest rates are going to come back down. People are going to refinance. And there's some things that we can do as far as like uh, some temporary buy-downs and stuff like that to give you some relief until that happens. And so there is a, I think, you know, the market, this is my 21st year. Um, it's all I've done since I was 19 years old. So this is my 21st year doing this. And we've seen cycles like this, you know, all throughout those 21 years. And so it'll last a little bit you know, with rates up, rates will come down, things will even out, things will get better. And so um, life will be good, but I'm, I'm happy to help. If anybody just, if you guys have questions or you guys, you know, you can shoot a text or give me a phone call. Cell phone's 504-228-3780. I'm on it seven days a week. So but I appreciate you guys. Let me say a few words there. Yeah, man. I mean, yep. the moral of the story is, I mean, good words Brian, of advice, honestly. It it it's great advice, and and for me, the moral of the story is Brian doesn't really know that much about bow hunting, but he knows a lot about mortgages. So, um. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, you're one hundred percent correct. Well, but the same thing, same you know, in all seriousness, same thing can be said for you know, this is a hunting podcast, so the same thing can be said for mortgaging, you know, recreational land if you if you're trying to 
you know, buy your own hunting property or, or you know, cash out some equity in your home to invest in, in your passions for hunting and, and, and recreation and stuff like that. So, all I mean, all those things apply, and, and I just, you know, we're we're very grateful for your support of the uh, of the of Louisiana bow hunter in the podcast for the years, and just encourage people to contact you, Brian at Movement. Is that right, Brian dot Chamberlain at Movement dot com? Isn't that it? Did I get that right? Yeah, you go Brian dot Chamberlain at Movement dot com. Email yep. also, yeah. If you got financing needs, contact Brian. He may talk to you about hunting for a while as a as a uh, kind of an offshoot yeah. to your to, right. to 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 numb the pain of of having to talk financing. So. But anyway, right. <laughs> we're experiencing some. Uh, we're experiencing uh, a, a kind of a, a, a shitty inflation and economy, but we're experiencing a fantastic October. The weather is great. I, uh, yep. I hope everybody is enjoying it, and, and some of the uh, the economic woes are offset by some nice mornings and evenings. And I know for me, it was a long summer, and I was like at my I was at my wits' end with the heat. And I, Colin and I work together a lot, and he knows I had just gotten to the point where I was just mad every day. Like, I was just angry for no reason because I walked outside and it was just miserable. And we've been blessed. Like, the calendar turned, and it has just been so nice to go outside and uh, and in the mornings and be able to wear a hoodie when I take my kids to school. And, and, and it's just great, man. And and I, I haven't hunted really uh, other than, you know, being out there getting my kid out in in and out of the stand hunting and stuff like that but i'm just enjoying it i hope everybody else is i hope that you will continue to share with us we were actually going to do another part of this podcast i'm going to forward this to next week because we're uh running up against time but we actually ask for people to to you know continue um you know giving us some some topics and some questions that you want us to talk about on the podcast and we actually did get some for this week and we ended up rambling on. Yeah, we got some. We got some good yeah, ones. We got some really good questions. We got some good ones. We're going to cover those on next week's podcast, plus any more that you guys will send in between now and then, or as many as we can. And they can be as serious or as stupid as you want them to be. I mean, if they're too stupid, we may, you know, may or may not. But you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I hate that we missed that because we got some good ones. But we're gonna we're gonna hit that again next week, and we're gonna stay on that. And uh, yep. just encourage you guys, again, we got some new merch coming out. Excited to show that to you. Uh, we got some other stuff that we just came out with a month or so ago. You can find it at LouisianaBowHunter.com and got uh, a lot of inventory going out to shelves at local retailers. So if you have, uh, if you got a store that carries our stuff, go check that out. And um, just keep sending us your pictures and sharing your stories with us. Uh, loving it. Off to a great start. Brian, thanks for joining us today. And uh, kind of shooting the shit with us and talking a little bit of Louisiana Bowhunter. We greatly appreciate it and wish you the best of luck on your next hunt. And uh, I will talk to you guys. I hope I have a a story about a big buck getting shot by a 14-year-old boy in Kansas. That's what I hope we're talking about next week. But either way, we'll be back next week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in week after week. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.